0: Hello, I'm Letitia, founder of personal coaching company, Looper, and this is the New Leaf podcast. New Leaf explores the practical, emotional, and sometimes messy side of getting back to work after having had a baby, but with a particular focus on pre and post baby identity. In each episode, I interview incredible ladies, and sometimes the odd bloke, to find out quite how they manage their returns together with their challenges and vulnerabilities. In the age where the pressure, female perfection and having it all has never been higher, welcome to New Leaf. Follow the podcast on Instagram at, at new leaf Podcast to find out more and follow me at Growth to find out about my prenatal and postnatal mama coaching program. This episode came into existence via that wonderful world of the Women's Network, where a previous guest very kindly connected me to the lovely, gorgeous, and grounded Lou Teasdale. Lou's episode, I have to say, was one of my favourites to record. It was quite a different setup to what I normally do. I was conscious of her time, so usually, where I'd just try and have a quick call to get to know my guest before recording, I took a risk and went straight into a full on interview. And my goodness, as you'll hear from the episode, she really doesn't disappoint. Lou's epic career as a celebrity hairstylist, most notably for One Direction, created some interesting reactions. My inbox was flooded with at Harry Styles' future wife and at for Harry only accounts the minute I announced Lou as my guest, and it really showed me the power of celebrity. But Lou unpicks and reveals what it's like to live in this world brilliantly. We cover her fascinating birth story and journey back to work, albeit just three weeks after having her baby girl. She was very open and direct about the need to work for our mental health as mums and we explore this in more detail. Lou is hugely successful. The country is not exactly short of hairstylists, yet she has 4.2 million followers and growing. Yet, one of her comments really stuck out to me when I asked her about what success meant to her, which was, well, does anyone ever really feel like they've actually completed the game? Lou clearly has more up her sleeve. We also discuss the complexities of co-parenting, the challenge of how and when to let your kids grow up, and the simplicity of raising a four-month-old baby on a tour bus. Very briefly at the end, As Lou was great friends with Caroline Flack, the very much loved British TV host, we discuss the importance of selflessness and compassion when it comes to supporting those around us suffering from depression. I really, really enjoyed this conversation and I slightly fell in love with Lou. I hope you do too. And as always, enjoy the episode. Can't wait to hear what you think. My next guest is a Yorkshire-born, very well-known makeup artist and hairstylist. She started her journey studying at the London College of Fashion and soon branched out into being a fashion assistant. She worked at salons and shopping centres before getting her first leap to the big stage where she was hired to work as a hairstylist on the X Factor UK. This led to several other professional engagements, including working as a hairstylist on the team for Britain's Got Talent. During her tour run for The X Factor, she was constantly requested to accompany One Direction, thus landing her gig as their main hairstylist and, I think it's safe to say, now lifelong friend. Her clientele includes a whole host of major boy bands such as Westlife, Boyzone and, of course, One Direction. She's launched her own businesses, written a book and worked as a beauty columnist for Elle magazine and has a real passion for property. So pretty sure it's clear that an entrepreneurial streak is most definitely there. Her work has been featured in magazines around the world and she's been a brand ambassador for several companies. Over this incredible career she's also had her beautiful daughter Lux, who's now nine and is currently settled in Hackney London. She remains one of the most sought-after hairstylists in the industry so it gives me great pleasure to welcome Lou Teasdale. Welcome Lou. Hello. So lovely to have you thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So Tell me, where are you in the world right now and what can you see in front of you?
1: Well, I'm in lockdown, like everyone else, in Hackney in London, which is where we live, here with my daughter and I have a housemate. And yeah, we've just been quite bored, (laughs) but I quite like it.
0: And how's your little girl getting on at school and stuff? Is it all relatively back to normal now?
1: She's good. I mean, there's been a few days where I had to work a couple of weeks ago and and someone got in touch with me and said, actually, someone from the shoot has COVID. So there's been a couple of times she's had to have the 10 days off from school. You know, they had so much time off school. I don't want her off school at the moment. But it all feels quite normal. I think I think the school are doing quite a good job with everything.
0: Yeah, this lockdown feels a lot less bad than the last one, right?
1: Yeah definitely and like th- things feel like they're moving rather than as much as it's not great it's like everyone's trying to live life a little bit more. Definitely and tell me about Lux what is she like? She's nine now so she's quite curious and um, she's really funny she's got her own little personality going. and we just had <laughs> I get offered quite a lot of stuff on my Instagram so like you know women trying to start something new or a new business and things like that that I always sort of see that I think oh that's a good idea like let's do something with them and this woman got in touch and she started this company called a girls first she does these period boxes um, and there's quite I think there's quite a lot of like little lockdown businesses popping up because everyone's sort of reflecting on what they did and what they want to do So I was like, yeah, send us one of them, because I I was thinking I need to talk to Lux about this anyway. (laughs) And um, so this box came, and it was really cute. It was all pink with a big ribbon round. And we get sent so many parcels, and Lux is really spoiled because she gets sent big boxes from, like, LOL Surprise and Claire's accessories and stuff. And I'm always a little bit like, you're not having all of that. (laughs) And, um, And this one came, and she's like, can I open it? And her friend from next door was here. It was a couple of weeks ago. I was like, well, I just think that one might be a little bit embarrassing to so all we'll up and that together. Like, she was like, no, no, let's open, it, let's open it, let's open it. So I texted her mum and I was like, um, I was going to talk to Lux about periods anyway, and they've got, they've got this thing, and can, can we do it here? And she said, yeah, go on then. So the girls were kind of opening this box and it just had all like pads and um, uh, hot chocolate and like some little like comfy socks and these period knickers and like it was just the cutest thing and like they were just being really giggly and um, it was just quite cute because quite a nice little space for them to then ask a lot of questions and then when she went to bed she then asked me a few more questions it was obviously on her mind and stuff but she's just kind of at that age where I'm trying to make her feel super comfortable with me so that we can get through the teen years, I suppose.
0: <laughs> yeah, because it must feel like those are really kind of on the horizon now. I
1: know, it just comes so quick. Like, I can't believe she's nine um, and she feels older than that too. Yeah, and particularly with the period
0: stuff, you kind of think, oh, no, they're still a little girl. But, I mean, these days, girls seem to be starting at, like, 10 or 11. I mean, yeah, but at, we- at my school, it was 11 that we had those talks. I think. Yeah we
1: didn't have them till secondary school but I started before secondary school so I just wanted to feel prepared even if we are a little bit early at least she'll feel like not frightened about it happening if it did happen I think I'm quite confident that she sort of understands now and she wouldn't be upset or anything like that. Hopefully my husband won't be annoyed that I say
0: this but there was a, a night a few years ago where we'd all had quite a lot to drink and it was me and him and then some friends of ours, like another couple friend and both the boys and so my husband and this other guy. <laughs> I don't know how we got into the subject, but started asking how tampons worked. So we actually got a tampon out and a glass of water to like show them how it like... <laughs> that again... And they were both just like, whoa, I like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like this. It was the funniest thing, honestly. And these are grown men. Grown men. It was so, <laughs> so funny. Both of them were like, and that, I, how did we not know this? I was like, because you went to all-boys school, babe. That's yeah, how you don't it know I
1: know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It was quite funny. They would just be little geeks and sticking the pads in their knickers and running around squeeping screaming oh into God. them. But it was just quite, I'm quite happy she's being open about it. Yeah. And also,
0: I think it's quite good that she's a bit before it because she's not at that sort of teenage real embarrassment stage yet. You know, when they just get really embarrassed about everything, she's probably a bit before that. So it's
1: probably quite a good time. As a parent, what I've noticed with my friends who are parents is some put things off until as late as possible. Um, And it was the same even with things like weaning and getting them onto solid food. I think some parents try and make the kids grow up and I think I do that I feel like it's encouraging and then some like to keep them a baby as long as possible and try not to be too pushy or whatever and I think people I've noticed it's such a parenting style isn't it you're kind of one or the other and I've always been quite come on let's try this now I don't know which one's right or wrong probably neither it's just which one you are
0: the ultimate aim of parenting is for them to become as independent as possible. Yeah. You don't want them to be dependent on you when they are 18. So tell me a little bit about life pre-Lux.
1: So I am from a little town between York and Hull. So I'm a Yorkshire girl and it was a very small, really nice village called Home on Spalding Moor. It was just a nice place to grow up. My parents wanted that lifestyle. They're originally from further north, more Newcastle, at Middlesbrough. So I've got a twin sister. We grew up in Homer's Baltimore. And then we went to college in York, um, which is where I met our mutual friend. And then at 18, came down to London. I was a bit kind of ready to get out of there because it was kind of such small town mentality. And I had all these big ideas I kind of just got down here as early as possible, really, and went to college down here and did my art foundation. I wasn't very academic, shall we say. So lived in London since I was 18, so that's nearly 20 years. Gosh. I was going to say, that must have been quite a
0: contrast, having grown up in like little quiet village up in Yorkshire. <laughs> I went to college in
1: York, and that was a bit more like of a town. But, you know, when you're 17, 18, you just do it, don't you? you just so fearless and I didn't even think about it to be honest I came here really on my own lived with a a Spanish girl until I got to know some people that was just what I wanted to do and I kind of just had my head down and and went and I don't think anything was going to stop me for the first couple of years you just get back up north as often as you can see friends but Mm. sort of trying to plow through I suppose and then all of a sudden with London it slowly becomes life and you make friends and you realise it's not as big as it feels. And we found like a little scene and, um, <laughs> you know, it kind of like became home all of a sudden. Now, now full family is down here. My sister moved down and then mum and dad live here now as well. Oh, wow. Okay, so everyone's down. Yeah, yeah. And that must be pretty handy when it comes to things like childcare. <laughs> yeah, dad started working for Sam, my sister. She's got the hair brand bleach and he does all the warehousing and everything. And mum looks after the kids, so it was kind of like you're needed. <laughs> she just went soft when we had kids; like she just turned into this mushy woman. And she was quite a hard mum, with not hard, but she wasn't like she is now. And she would start crying when she had to go back up north and leave the grandkids. And so I don't think dad had much choice, to be honest. In the end, they they moved down. Grandparenting, I swear, it really does change people. Yeah, like it really does. It's just all she lives for, like. She's so funny. She's got me and my sister on the Find Friends app, so she tracks us, which is just like, I mean, I really don't care because I'm not going anywhere in secret. Sometimes when I've gone on a little naughty date or whatever, she's a bit like, hi, and i just know she just doesn't know where I am. <laughs> she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, mum, I know you're sat there bored looking where we both are. <laughs> And did you agree to this? Like, how did this happen? Well, it happens because it's we're we're all in each other's lives so much because of the kids. It's always, well, I'm bringing her around there and you're going to have to come and get these and then you can pick them up. And it's all a bit like that. So we all have it on there so we can see rather than texting. Say if she's driving around, I can just see she's nearly here or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. I suppose I quite like it. It's my mum. Like someone knows where I am you know like I'm, I'm still a bit of a little girl and I'm single so I do mooch about a bit around London and I'm out sometimes and it's quite nice that mum can just see where I am if she needs to I, oh. I'm just not super paranoid or stressed with stuff like that so
0: yeah you've definitely sold it to me compared to how it sounded when you first yes. said it <laughs> Okay. So you've taken us down to London, so you were just starting out there, going up north as often as you can, and at the London College of Fashion, but tell me about what that was like, and did you always know that hairstyling and makeup was something that you wanted to
1: do? So I didn't actually salon train, I just was a makeup artist, and that's what I really wanted to do. So I was assisting loads of makeup artists, and I was on a course at LCF doing makeup, and thing is, when you when you're in that industry as well, you sort of meet someone and you become their first assistant, and they need you. And you get on, and you work as a good team. And the guy that that happened for me with was a hairdresser, and he specialised in men, and he needed somebody who could do nice skin because quite often they would want someone who did hair and makeup, then they would just need one person. So. As his assistant, I would do all of the skin and he would do all of the hair. And so I worked with him for a long time, about eight years. And he really looked after me and sort of nurtured me as my own person. And he was who worked on X Factor. So I became his head assistant. So I would put together the teams and I would go and do things like the X Factor tour where someone would have to travel about with all the acts, but they wouldn't have the budget for someone like him to go. So I would go and do it. Because I did hair and makeup, I think I got a lot further earlier on than somebody who does just one or the other. Mm. I mean, he did me some barber training as well so that I could cope with the men's work on my own. I mean, he was trying to transition over to L.A. So he kind of moved and left me with all of that work. A salon took over on X Factor on the One Direction year, but I still did the tour because that was sort of a separate booking that I'd done it for years. And so I didn't do One Direction on the show, but I did the promo work and the tour. And that's how I met them.
0: And you must have seen them at such an unbelievable point in their career.
1: Gave me a bit of a complex actually, because I worked on that show for so long, and it was really my only gig. Before that, I only really worked on fashion rather than celebrity or music artists. And I'd always sort of known them before they'd got famous because it was through the X Factor platform. When I went on to do some acts like Westlife or Boyzone or some established music artists, I was so frightened because. Actually, to meet them when they were already so established is really intimidating. And I'd never done that. I'd always worked with people that I knew from when they would be in awe of us because they were coming into the show. Mm. And the dynamic was we were just more equals. And I really got quite a lot from that. And I think the acts get quite a lot from that as well because with their team, especially hair and makeup, they're in their room all the time. You know, when we'd be on tour, like I'd be in the room through everything. And they need to be super comfortable to kind of either be in a mood and not speak all day and not feel like they can't be because sometimes they want to be or or to just be silly and be themselves and so I think when they've known you from before, there's a level of trust there, and they just feel really comfortable and I think that really worked in my favor with one direction because and Ollie as well, so I've worked with Ollie Mers before them, and it was sort of the same there, like it's just. It was more about that, I think, than technical ability. (laughs) (laughs) Just having that relationship. Yeah.
0: 2010 as well, that's when everything was really, really booming. And as you said, like Westlife Boyzone, et cetera, I mean, by that point, they'd been around for 15 years or something. Yeah, I I worked with both of
1: them on their reunion.
0: God, that's mad. So that tour then, I mean, that must have been such an experience for you because, as you said, it was your first really, really big gig, but then also having all that pressure. you're running the ship now I I trust you what was that like?
1: By that point I knew management and the label very well because I'd been around for a lot of years so they knew me and which then makes the boys feel comfortable because everything's kind of taken care of logistics wise and you know they don't really need to get too involved so I didn't feel too out of my depth with them because by that point I'd worked with their management and their label for such a long time they're really cool as well. So if there was ever any problems, it would get figured out. Whereas I think with a lot of teams and things like that I've worked on before, as soon as there was a problem, then someone's gone. And their management and them personally were very good at ironing out problems, making sure everybody's happy. Let's get our heads down and do the work, you know. Because obviously it was fun being on tour, but it was quite hard on people's lives. Because you have to put everything else down. So at that age, they all had girlfriends. I had my relationship. I was pregnant. So there's always a lot to get figured out. And you can get quite upset quite easily when you're away from your whole support system. And so it was just more of like trying to appreciate that we're all very lucky and in a good position. And we're all going to do it. So let's just do it and make it as nice as possible for each other. I was just doing the sort of maths in my head and I was thinking, if Lux is nine
0: now, how did that work? Take me through the timescale. So when did you get pregnant? Where were you professionally at that time?
1: So yeah, I got pregnant and I was booked to do the X Factor tour in March. I got pregnant in January. Um, So I was sort of in my first trimester and I was doing this tour and I was doing hair and makeup
0: oh my and god and
1: with their year there were loads of signings there was like Cher Lloyd there was Mary Byrne there was Rebecca Ferguson Matt Cardell won it there were a lot of acts from that year so there was a lot of hair and makeup to do and I was in my first trimester and I didn't want to tell anybody yet but after a couple of weeks I was like I'm just going to tell everyone I'm pregnant <laughs> and they might lay off a bit <laughs> um with the boys I was actually in labor the day they went to number one with what makes you beautiful And I was booked to do Olly Murs. He was doing X Factor that year. So he was hosting X Factor with Caroline. And um, Mm. I was booked to do him. And I was actually having a break from the boys because I was having the baby. So I didn't work with them until the year after when they started. Everything started really flying. And everyone Mm. could see that they were going to be a really big deal and they just figured things out for me so that logistically it could work and they put like a little cot on the tour bus for us and stuff that is insane so when you went on tour how old was Lux the first one we went on we went to Australia and she was four months oh my god yeah I said for as long as we feel like we're enjoying it and she's okay, then we'll do it. So it was always kind of, well, we'll see how this one goes and then we'll see how that one goes. And it was fine. The thing is, they do just adapt. Mm. And a lot of my friends, you know, would have these routines where they would put their baby down at 7pm every single night and then baby's happy. And we just couldn't do that we would get her established on a routine like that but then go away and it would mess it up but it actually made her super easy to go to bed Mm. because she just learned she needed to go to bed (laughs) and we had to be I think maybe quite disciplined on stuff like that with her which was quite good for us and Mm. she was really easy I always felt like I didn't want to be a burden on everybody and taking too much stuff around and everybody having to help. I wanted to try and be as discreet as possible. So where like a lot of my friends would have these huge buggies with these huge baby bags and they'd take everything around with them. I used to try and just leave the house with the baby and my phone. Yeah. (laughs) But anything she needs, we can figure it out. And, And it was kind of like we just had to be low maintenance. But I kind of quite liked that. Yeah, I think a lot of people can learn from that, definitely
0: myself included, that it's so tempting and easy for people to take the kitchen sink, but we realise that...
1: I feel like you need to cover any eventuality, um, but actually, what's the worst that can happen? You might not be prepared for an outfit change if there's a spillage and that's it, you know? So I had to do things a bit differently. But again, now with lockdown, I've seen things that panicked me about being in the house and her not being able to go to school or play with friends or whatever. I I thought this is going to be horrendous for Lux and she's going to be climbing the walls. And she was for a couple of days, but really a week in, she'd completely adapted and learned that this is it and she was fine. It's amazing what they adapt to.
0: Just to go back to what you were saying about first trimester and just telling people I don't know where it comes from I mean obviously people get worried about miscarriage etc which is why they don't want to tell people in that first trimester but that's often when you need the most support because you're feeling hormonal you're not probably sleeping well so I think good on you for just telling people.
1: Yeah I think the first trimester is when everyone actually needs the time off work the most (laughs) but you have to act totally normal um, and people who are Haven't been pregnant, I think we'll never understand how tiring the first trimester is. And you just feel sick and can't deal with it all and emotional and all of that. But I mean, because you're on tour as well, you live like a family, like you're all in each other's pockets. So I've just tried to chill out on what you're supposed to do and just it's kind of what I took from my whole pregnancy and being a mum was just kind of just chill out about it. And (laughs) I think it's quite old fashioned to not tell anybody you're pregnant. Mm. I, I think if you don't want to then don't and if you want to then do it's just got to be kind of what you want not, rather than what you're supposed to do Ugh, I just couldn't yeah I couldn't agree more
0: and it must have been quite helpful for the rest of the band etc I think it's just such an amazing distraction from anything yeah. you're stressed
1: about I think it definitely gave a kind of a family feel to the whole setup rather than feeling like you're at work And they must know her so well now. They've known her
0: her whole life.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. She's such a good little marker for how long it's been as well. Now you see her and you're like, okay, she was just born when we started. And now look at her and then you realise how long has gone by. Even when you were mentioning all the names like Matt Cardell
0: and stuff, I was thinking, oh yeah, like all these people.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And you were referring to us. Tell me about Lux's dad and
1: how that all worked and what was going on at that time. He came around with us for most of it because I couldn't have taken her on my own and he didn't want to leave her and he was kind of the mum in a way because I couldn't put my job down. Um, So he did. He's a musician too. He was kind of primary carer in a way as much as we were both with her all the time. It kind of really fell on him. So I wanted to make sure I was respecting that and not saying, okay, I'm taking her. And I think that would have been quite hard for him. So we all went. It was quite nice because he was quite good friends with a couple of the boys and he knew a couple of management and things like that. So it was a family vibe and quite a lot of the boys had friends that had jobs on the tour and, you know, it was just, it felt quite comfortable to have him there.
0: Yeah, I mean, and having somebody else as well, who's got that
1: primary responsibility, as you said, that must have been such a weight off. Exactly. Um, And and so many people don't have that when they need to try and get back into work. And I was very lucky to have that. I know that
0: you've been quite open about this on social media and stuff, but now you co-parent with Tom. So what happened there and how long were you guys together before things didn't work out?
1: So we were together till she was two. To be honest, we never really had a bad breakup where we weren't speaking for a big amount of time or anything like that because it didn't feel right for luck. So we just have always figured it out. And so I've just been quite lucky. I think that especially when new relationships come into play, I can see how things can really slip. So people who may be going through it, It's really easy when you're going into something new with someone to try and honour their feelings and try and keep them happy because you're trying to keep that relationship working. And that's quite natural as well when you go into a relationship and it's quite unnatural to go against that. So I think it was about trying to balance what he wanted versus what he wanted, you know. I think to assume everybody's going to get along fine is quite unrealistic because they're not going to. But you can generally always figure it out, trying to keep things diffused and trying to make sure everybody feels heard and respected and included, not excluded. It's really hard to juggle and you can see how sometimes one will argue it spirals so quickly. Did you find that in reverse with kind of new women in Tom's
0: life? Did you find that dynamic difficult where you just felt like, I want to be the only mummy? How did that work for you?
1: Well, for us, it was the other way around. So I'm the one who had the serious relationship after about a year. But to be honest, for me, I think that he has her best interests. He has Lux's best interests. So I wouldn't question his decision on introducing somebody. Do you know what I mean? And I think yeah, I as soon as you do that, you're kind of a certain a bit of authority that you don't really have. I and mean, then it becomes a power struggle. And actually, we don't have that relationship where I worry that he's not thinking of her first. I kind of know that he is. So whether I like it or not, it's up to him really to decide when to introduce somebody. And I actually think he'll he wouldn't do anything that he didn't think was right for looks anyway. And that's an amazing level of like respect that you
0: have for each other. Then that you know you feel comfortable. Doing that because there are so many co-parenting relationships where it's just not like that, and because you know each other's buttons and you know each other so well, I think as you say, it's so easy just to let it all spiral into oblivion. And when you share a child, I can't even imagine like that must be must have been really hard in the beginning.
1: Yeah, I mean it's the same as parenting when you're together, really, because when you're together, I think quite often there'll be some couples that are still together but they're not on the same page at all with what's right for the kid. And actually, we always have been. So I think it's about trying to just get on the same page. What I've found with some friends, they've had, they're trying to do some sort of routine or they're trying to do something new where you need to stick to it. And then when they go to the other parent, they're not sticking to it. <laughs> and so things like that, it needs to be, we both need to do this. Otherwise, none of us can discipline our child anymore. And both understanding that, because if one's trying to say, you're not having any dessert unless you eat this. And then when they go to dad's, it just lets them have whatever. What Lux would do was she'd always want to be at a dad's and then I'd get upset. And mm. so we just have to put the same things into place at the same time and things like that. And remember that you still need to be a parenting team. And it's crazy because
0: in a normal breakup scenario, you would just break up and then you don't
1: see them ever again or maybe talk occasionally or we do a lot together we've always still done a lot together because Lux loves it and we all get on so we would rather a lot of the time do stuff together than one of us sat on our own but we're both single at the moment so it's really easy to do that where it's difficult is if you need to factor in and respect another person if he had a girlfriend then I would get that she doesn't want me hanging out around his (laughs) watching movies you know it's like I would understand that as rubbish as it would be I I kind of need to not be a problem in their relationship so yeah it's just trying to put yourself in other people's shoes a bit I think and you said that you guys broke up
0: when Lux was around two. so I was thinking that usually when I'm speaking to guests about this sort of thing that's when they're really starting to get back into their career etc except for you it feels like There wasn't really a break because you were working up until you were heavily, heavily pregnant. And then sounds like you were straight back at it, really. So did you have
1: any maternity leave at all? Well, I call when I was doing Ollie for X Factor, that was my maternity leave, even though I was doing (laughs) something. I I was only doing him Saturday and Sunday evenings for like an hour. And so the first couple of weekends, she was only three weeks old. And he was so nervous because it was such a big gig for him and he'd never had anyone else do his hair. And we figured it out. So they were like, okay, we're going to get you a car and you come and do it. And then you can bring your breast pump and all this stuff. Oh and then you can just get a car straight back home and leave your assistant to to do touch-ups. So I was like, yep, that's absolutely fine. And for me, that paid okay. me. So I kind of needed to do something because there is no help for self-employed mums. No, there isn't. Um, I I looked into it and the statutory would have paid me, God, uh, nowhere near what I needed to pay my mortgage, so it was just useless. I don't know if they assume that you've got savings to have a baby. I I don't know. It just seems crazy. I think it's about £90 a week when, when I did it. So it's actually quite good because over the weekend for 12 weeks from September to Christmas and then I relaxed on everything else, that's my fee But after a couple of weeks, he just started coming to the house anyway because I was trying to do that pumping thing and my boobs were just hurting so much and I couldn't really pump because I was either in an Addison Lee and I couldn't sit in that pumping milk or I was doing his hair so I couldn't be pumping milk then and then in an Addison Lee home. So I was just, all my milk dried up and I was trying to spend all week trying to get it back and then it was even worse the next week. So then I ended up putting him on formula. But it was kind of worth it because, actually, it was quite nice to still do a little bit of work. At the time, it felt very stressful, actually, because anything that throws you off your bubble with your baby is too stressful at that time. But it made my transition back into full-time work just super easy. And I just never even really noticed, which I prefer because I think it's actually really difficult to have a year off and then go back to work full-time. Just miss the baby too much. (laughs) I talk about this I mean it's the
0: whole sort of purpose of this podcast really is that I think having a baby can feel like depending on your birth depending on your personality how anxious you are etc it can just feel like a complete nuclear bomb yeah. into your like identity and your whole life and if you've been this really outgoing party person loads of friends really big social life and then suddenly you're
1: just stuck at
0: home the baby the whole time. I think it can be really upsetting. Even
1: even in social life, I think a lot of people have a really full-on career and then also really full-on social life. And that's how everybody that I know lives now. They don't really have any chill time they fill up all of their spare time with quite full-on socializing <laughs> yeah and, or traveling or going somewhere or using that time to you know if you do have a career that you love it probably does take over your whole life because most careers do mm-hmm. and so I think to put that down and lose your social life you do feel really lost just yeah. or staying at home with the baby even though you're trying to do so much and you're so tired and emotional and I think maybe it's just almost too much of a shift in lifestyle for some people they become super overwhelmed and then kind of lost from reality I suppose Lost morality is a really good way of putting it. I think it's like you just,
0: you kind of lose yourself mm-hmm. temporarily. And particularly if you've got, I don't know what your friends were doing at that time, but if you're the first to have babies or you're not yeah. around other people that are having
1: babies, that can be really
0: hard as well.
1: Well, I was the first... But like I say, I I didn't end up removing myself from reality because (laughs) I only had three weeks off. But I actually really appreciate that because I was having that big hit of reality on my weekends. When I needed to start doing four or five days a week, it actually didn't feel too then scary going back to work, which I think people then have it the other way as well. So there's sort of two big life transitions and it's just a lot. And then again, when you've had so much time off as well, Which I'm having now from lockdown, you almost feel like, well, what's worth it? Because I actually really love being at home with my child here and it's amazing and I've never had that. And is all of that stuff worth it? It makes you really reassess. And I think it's the same with maternity leave. If you're going to go back, it needs to really be worth it. Whatever motivates you, whether it is financially or if it's creatively that motivates you to do that job, is it worth it versus having that time with your child. Totally and I
0: think yeah I mean we were talking about this before we started recording weren't we that it's just it has to be something that you're going to prioritise essentially over your child because yeah. that's kind of what it is and yeah. especially these days where it can be very expensive to go back to work because childcare is very expensive if you haven't got your mom around or somebody else.
1: Yeah of course I would say that unless you are a high earner I would say that must would be going back to work for their mental health over financially because you kind of don't end up in too much profit anyway. But I wouldn't say that's a reason to not go back to work. A few of my friends have actually used that reason to not go back to work because they wouldn't end up with too much money. And actually, I think that they wish that they did. We do work for a lot more reasons than... Just financial. And as women, especially, we get so much from having a career and your children seeing how that helps your relationship because you both have a career and feel equal and all of those things. I think that to look at just the profit at the end of the month is probably a mistake. I could not agree more. I've heard this from so
0: many people where they've said, Oh, I'm not going back because it doesn't make financial sense for me to go back. So Mm. that's why I'm not going back. And I do wonder sometimes whether it's because certainly not always but whether sometimes it's because they don't like their job
1: or that's oh they yeah. feel guilty about the child so they're kind of looking for a reason to not um or maybe their husband might be making them feel like that because I think as a husband I can understand they're super happy and comfortable leaving their baby with the mum and they just don't have to worry like I said I had that with Lux and her dad when they're with any childcare, you're still worrying. And when she's with him, I'm not concerned. And you can't put a price on that. I mean, it makes sense as well. I can see how it makes sense. If it does not make any money, what are you going to go to work for, you know? But <laughs> yeah. I, do think that, I do think that a lot of people make that mistake. And maybe if they would have gone back five years earlier, their salaries would more than cover their childcare costs. And by the time the child goes to school, there's no childcare costs really. And if you've got a good career, then you've got a lot more money in your household. If it is about money, then of course it makes sense financially to get back to it and be furthering your career because it takes time, you know, assuming that we're all young, we're young mums, we're probably not at our peak of our career yet anyway. My sister-in-law, she's a surgeon and she was like, it really doesn't make
0: financial sense at all for me to go back. But...
1: I and she's really a surgeon. She's a
0: surgeon, yeah, oh, and she was like, cool. "But I just love cutting people open, so I've got to go back." <laughs> I to go back. <laughs> and um, and I, but I remember at the time I hadn't had children yet, and I just thought, like, that is badass. Like, that's what I want to be like, and I, I really respected the fact that she was like, "Yeah, it really doesn't make sense. We're really broke, but I just love what
1: I do, and the money will come." I mean, I suppose with a career like that, you know, there's such a big investment into a career like that of education and the years that she spent to get there then does she want to put that down and and just not do it again because like I say you know as much as a baby is a baby needs its mum children go to school and all of a sudden they're grown up and mums end up feeling lost you know oh god yeah and Lux
0: is only nine I know (laughs) (laughs) but secondary school's around the corner and it must feel a bit strange I can imagine that
1: it definitely does I'm quite looking forward to it because I'm just so obsessed with her like (laughs) i just want to see what she's gonna be and be like you know i mean from what i've just seen from social media she just looks like such a character she's She's just so nice like she's quite shy actually but she's so caring and and sweet and she's very good yeah she's she we're very lucky
0: So I'm going to take us back a little bit because you were talking about working three weeks after Lux was born. So you said that you went into labor just as One Direction went to number one. It was the same day, yeah. The same day, that is crazy. So tell
1: me about your birth story, what happened? My best friend, she lived next door and she was really like, I want to be there. And I really wanted her to be there. And um, we'd gone for a big walk so we went around the car boot sale so I thought if we're gonna go small, to sort of do a couple of laps and you can't just sit down and I think that did trigger it but she was kind of like we're gonna go back up to York because there was a week early as well she was like this is the last weekend I'm gonna to want to go so you're feeling anything and I was like I didn't want to stop her going back to York and I was like twinging but I've been twinging for a couple of weeks so yeah go come back tomorrow whatever And then, honestly, as soon as she went, I thought, I can feel something. So I started timing it. And then, you know, when you start timing it, that's when you realise it's regular. Because it's so slight, isn't it? And they're so far apart, you just think it's every now and again. But actually, if you time it, you realise it's contractions because they're exactly to a minute. I think they're about 12 minutes apart or something, but exactly to the minute. (laughs) I just thought, right, I'll just chill out and have a bath and by the time it got to about 7 p.m I did text her and she just got back to York and I was like I do think something's happening here I'm gonna go to bed early I'm gonna have a bath and go to bed and maybe it'll be tomorrow and then by about 11 p.m it was really painful so I rang the triage and I said I'm having these contractions and they're about three minutes apart and I hurt quite a lot she said well come in and see us and when she was talking to me my waters went and then it went Absolutely everywhere, all over the bed, and that was it for me. So for me, my waters going, just kicked off my contractions, super powerful. Every time I was having a contraction, which was about less than a minute, I was on the toilet because more water was coming out, so I couldn't even get into the car because I was having really bad contractions. I'm oh getting back on the toilet, and then we got in the car eventually, and when I got there, I was about seven centimetres, and they said I would have in an hour, but I, I didn't she was stuck I didn't end up having her until about one o'clock the next day and my twin sister had exactly the same labour as well that's Um, so funny so I ended up having um forceps with an epidural so I did about six hours in the water in the birthing centre like I'm gonna do Mm -hmm. this but she was back to back and I just couldn't get her out and it got horrendous so I ended up going up to labour ward and having her through forceps delivery I've heard that back to back is unbelievably painful you just can't they're sort of telling you to push but you can tell you're not getting anywhere with it it doesn't feel you don't feel any sort of satisfaction from the trying to push it's just not pushing you know so yeah it didn't go how I wanted but it was far it was
0: fine I mean obviously forceps that's still quite a bit of recovery afterwards, which is all the more reason why I'm super impressed that you were back working. I couldn't really walk
1: for a couple of weeks. Really, it just keeps tearing again as well. You, oh, you so you stick, it just breaks down for everyone. I think it doesn't seem to work. And I
0: assume that Lux's dad was there throughout yeah. labour, etc. Friend
1: made it back from York in time,
0: and that's obviously why you delayed it. She must have just been like, "Oh, thank you so much, Lou. That's made yeah. such a difference." <laughs> So we've been through your birth, but how were you coping in those early days with things like feeding and sleeping, and on top of that, going back to work so soon?
1: With the feeding, I sort of did two evenings of the weekend where I wasn't getting it out when I needed to, mm. and it, it just made it so I wasn't established enough to start doing that. So it was too painful, and after a couple of weeks, I just gave up and went to formula and. It made her really windy, which was annoying, because from just breast milk, she wasn't windy at all. Mm. So she would just feed and sleep, and just it was really nice and easy. Then once we did the formula, it was good, because Tom could do the formula and I could sleep, but she would be up for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes after the bottle being winded, which uh. didn't have that before. It just swings around about isn't it?
0: Yeah, it definitely is. It's so much easier to be able to like pass it to somebody else and also get the dads more involved, but you don't have that easy transition to like, okay, feeding and then sleep. Yeah. You said that you were kind of the first of your friends, but did you know other people in your industry who'd had babies and successfully come back and managed it?
1: No, not really. At that point with my friends, it was very like, you just either had an abortion or Mm. you're in a position where you could do it. And I was kind of one of the first ones to sort of do both and Mm. try and be an earner and have a baby and try and do that. But a lot of my friends do it a lot more successfully now, but we are a bit older. And everybody that I know does have a very good support network. I think that I'm very lucky because her dad could do that. And I had very good clients. So, you know, for my clients to be as accommodating as they were is why it was possible. But I think that that's quite unusual. So I'm super lucky. None of my friends have jobs where they could do that. Mm -hmm. So it is quite a unique situation. Even as hair and makeup on a TV show, you couldn't take your baby. I was on tour, so it was kind of easier because a lot of the tours are set up for families to be there because it's where artists and stuff have their families, otherwise they don't see their families. So, yeah, it was such a unique situation. But I think that beauty especially is such a good career for new mums because you can really sort of build your own career. You can be self-employed and work even a bit of cash in hand whenever you want it's kind of just one of those careers that you can take it you can do some evenings it is such a good industry for that and to have a trade that you can move anywhere in the world and you'll be able to work is actually a really good trade to have
0: I guess because you're self-employed sort of from the beginning you must be quite used to
1: just having to hustle all the time really to get what you want Because I was trying to get into this industry, I used to do a lot of work unpaid. Mm. And when I got pregnant, I thought, so much I do, I don't even get paid for. It's not possible. But actually, when I was pregnant and when I had lux, I think that people take you a lot more seriously. And that was when I started getting paid properly. Because before that, I didn't get paid properly. And where they would have me running around doing everything for nothing was because I was saying yes to it. And as soon as I said, well, actually, I'm going to have that day off then, they would find the budget. And until I needed the time off from work, then I didn't say no to any work. I think that I always thought that would be when I stopped earning money. And it was actually when I started earning money.
0: That's so interesting. So did you feel like because you were saying no it just made you more in demand and people were just like, oh, actually we really, really, love lovely. We want I mean, to have her yeah, back. I,
1: don't, I don't think I, I was any more in demand. I was just meeting the demand, but without asking for proper fees. And they will always, they will always take the piss yeah. because if <laughs> someone's course. going to come and do it for a hundred quid, why are they going to pay 500 quid? You know, but I got to a point where I was so busy and pregnant that I was kind of saying, I'm going to take the hundred quid job out and I'm going to, just goes for the proper directs. And then all of a sudden, they would just meet me somewhere where it made it worth it for me. You have to take things a bit more seriously, because it's not just about you and going to work for the day. It's about making sure that there's money in the bank, because you've got a responsibility now. Earlier on,
0: you said that in your early career, it was very much like you just said yes to everything. So do you regret that in hindsight? Or do you feel like it sort of paved the way for you to be able to say
1: no to things? Yeah, I don't really regret anything. No, because you just learn from it. I kind of say yes to everything because that's just my work ethic. But as you grow up, then you just need to see the value in things a little bit more. But the way that I've got where I am is because I was like that, I think. I don't think I would have got where I am without being like that. I mean, you
0: talked a bit about your mum. Was she in hair as well before? Like, where did that want to do what you do now come from?
1: No, my mum didn't work. She was a stay-at-home mum. And my dad had a successful business that he sold. He would always prioritise work. Work was what was put first. and But I think that it comes from mum, probably, as much as dad because i think it's more about just doing what makes us happy and that we're really confident to say, well this is what we want to do and we're going to go and get it and i think that that's a bit of mum and a bit of dad and having like such good support from them and do you feel that therefore your idea of what
0: success means has changed since you've become a mum
1: I mean, I just still don't feel like I'm there yet anyway. You know when you just always feel like you're just on on a blag? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, I don't know, I I think like, yeah, I suppose me and my sister have both been super successful, but we feel like, I don't know, you just, I don't know, does anyone feel like they've completed the game? that's so true I don't think so I mean Richard Branson obviously doesn't do you know what I mean Beyonce bloody doesn't you see that in 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 the industry as well so like obviously people trying to break into the industry and they want to be a music artist or an actress or an actor or whatever and then but then when you work with the biggest of the biggest ones you realize they're just as anxious as the ones that aren't there yet because they think they're going to lose it and who is actually happy in the whole bloody thing you know Oh my God, you're really opening up the philosophy now. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, it just has become like, especially this year, just being happy with what you've got and realising that you're really lucky and not needing to be in the rat race as much because I've been in it for 20 years. And I wouldn't change any of that, but I don't want to live like that for the rest of my life either. So on that point, are you the
0: type of person that has things... Planned out over the next 10 years? Do you have a vision for where you want
1: to be? I have no money saved. I don't have a plan. <laughs> <Love> <laughs> like people all sort of be like, because I, 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 all my money that I make at the moment is off Instagram. And they're like, well, what about when Instagram's gone? You know, what are you going to yeah. do then? I just would never sit and stress about that. I just don't. I just think, well, there'll be something that we can work with and i've got like all my experience and knowledge is there anyway. no one can take that off me so i'll be able to have value in something surely you know i don't know i just don't i don't stress too much i don't plan too much i'm really bad with saving money but that's why i like property because i feel like i have something where my money is and it's quite safe and i'm set up you know Yeah. And I have to mention
0: this because, and I promise, like, Lou and I haven't talked about this before the recording or anything, but in my, like, creepy stalking that I had to do prior to this interview, I was looking at this spread of, um, on homes and property of this place that you've just done up in Hackney. And holy crap, it's it's actually amazing and I promise like this is not planned like I just have to say it I was like that is my that's like my dream house
1: oh, yeah I've got really obsessed with house stuff now I've always liked property from property ladder yes yeah we used to watch that when we were younger like back-to-back episodes and me and my sister bought a flat when we were about 24 we we're like we're gonna get on the poppet ladder before anyone else I suppose we are a bit competitive like that. And because there's always been two of us as well, it's quite nice because we could put our money together and our earnings together. We got a mortgage for like 150 grand or something and bought a flat. And that's kind of what bought me this really, if you look at it sort of over the years, from selling that to buying this and doing that up. And it's just always been a little side project for me, which now has become like a big thing because I've done this house and put it on Modern House, which is... Do you know Modern House, the estate agent? No, I don't actually. They're a huge Instagram account because they have big houses on there. And I thought, I wonder if they'll take my house because they have really more design led houses. This is actually quite a traditional house. And then they were up for it and they thought it was just an interesting house and they have a lot of clients for this level. So I put it on there and then, yeah, people, loads of people started getting in touch and I, I made an Instagram account for the house because I was getting so many questions about the house. I didn't want to put it, my, my Instagram all about the house. So I made a separate one. And it's like, like when I go out, went to a dinner like last month, people kept coming up to me, asking me about the house, somehow the most successful thing I've ever done. This is the thing, right? Because
0: I was reading, again, sorry, more stalking. I was reading this interview and it said that you said, you know, I just, I wanted to do everything myself once from a yeah. DIY perspective. And yeah. I was, I just think that is the best way to do things and the best way to get into tradesmen's heads when, you're, when you actually yeah. know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, as a woman, they look at me and see all the parcels of clothes at the door, the big room full of clothes and makeup. And jump to conclusions and think I'm a bit daft. <laughs> a bit daft. <tough. laughs> yeah. And, and I think they sort of look at you like you're aware with the fairies of how you want things. And I always would see with my ex, especially when he would say it, then they would take it seriously that that's how it needs to be. And it would just always wind me up because they just kind of do this little laugh and go, it's not as easy as that yeah (laughs) and I'm like well I never said it was and actually you know if you've done a bit of tiling and you've you've kind of done it yourself then you understand that it can be done like that because you understand how it works and I didn't do much on this house really a bit painting but mostly I use people that I have a good relationship with now but I think that they respect if you know what you're talking about and then it makes the relationship good and then you can do a lot more but yeah, I think I actually got that off property ladder. She said that she did one herself. So I was like, right, well, I need to do this myself. <laughs> <laughs> I get quite a lot of messages and I always sit and read through a load of them. And, I, and this woman contacted me and she said, I just wanted to introduce yourself. I've got a construction firm in South London, and the only female-owned, female-led construction firm in London. And I just wanted to know if you wanted to work together on your next property. And I just thought that's exactly what—that's exactly what we need. Good on her for just reaching out as well. Just yeah, no, yeah. I, so many people do, and I really try and make sure that I engage with it too, because I think that that's where. Instagram's so amazing for small businesses and for us to be able to support each other and make sure that those big powerful companies don't keep everyone shut out you know.
0: Yeah absolutely and frankly kudos to you for agreeing to do this podcast because I didn't actually explain at the beginning of this episode. I know Lou through Rachel who was my guest on episode six a fortnight ago and she said oh my friend Lou I think she'd be a really good guest and then when I went on Lou's Instagram and saw her followers, I thought, "Oh no, this isn't happening. It's never going <laughs> to." Oh. I just thought, "No way, it's not going to happen." And then three days later, here we are. Yeah, we'll always figure it out. Oh well, I so appreciate it. Well, no, look, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's just been the best. Like I'm, we're coming to the end, so I just want to ask you just a couple of questions before we go. I've so enjoyed this conversation, honestly. It's like therapy. Uh, I know, I know. All my guests say that. I'm like, I'm trying to not make it therapy, but it sort of always seems to go this way. I love therapy. (laughs) I know, so true, so true. So when you look back on the arc of your career and everything that you've done, is there like a particular thing that's always motivated you or kept you going or kept you strong during hard times? And I know that you had a really hard time over the last year. I know that you were really good friends with Caroline Flack. And I mean, I can't even... Imagine how devastating that must have been for you as a loss and for Lux as well. So, is there something that's always kind of kept you going through these hard
1: times? We've had so much loss, and you know, we've lost like three people over the past five years. And it actually, I think, for me, and especially when it comes to suicide and stuff, uh, it gives me a lot of perspective and makes me feel really lucky and actually. Even when it feels like I might be really sad or lonely or heartbroken or struggling or anything like that, it actually kind of makes me realize that I've never really get into that place. I'm actually quite strong and Mm -hmm. try and keep a healthy head about things and sort of seeing people lose that. I think for me, all you've got to do is just sort of try and learn what you can From those times, and try and keep a healthy head with your relationships, like with your family, with your work, money, like all of those things which can go really toxic. Uh, It's just about trying to check yourself. I suppose that's just what I always try and do, and always try and help my friends do. And if it's you know, it's it's just the simple things, isn't it? If I see a friend struggling, just make sure you're helping them then make sure they know you're there and think then they do it back I suppose that's all I try and do is you know look after me those around me yeah
0: you're good at putting putting yourself first to be able to help others I guess
1: yeah like we do quite a lot of stuff like we do um we've been doing stuff with the community a lot in lockdown just little things like doing food bank drops, little things like we do stuff with the elderly at Christmas. I think that like everybody making a bit of time for what's going on around them gives you really good perspective and quite often doing work like that is quite thankless and trying to look after a friend who might be depressed is quite often quite thankless and sometimes you might feel like they throw it back in your face but know if you're dealing with somebody who's dealing with depression then it's not you don't need gratitude that's not what you're doing it for Mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of people with depression a lot of people in bad situations do push people away and become more and more lonely an individual person might not give much back but I think it's about what you're doing in your life that makes you feel like you're doing your bit and stuff like that and that's what I try and teach Lux as well It doesn't always have to be completely reciprocal where what you put in is exactly what you get out. It doesn't work like that. It quite often doesn't, (laughs) but it, (laughs) it makes you happier and it makes you a little bit more humble and you don't need all of that. And when, you know, if you've got a nice glitzy job and you're around people who earn well and all of that stuff all the time, then... If you're not in a great place, it can make it feel like things are really shit for you. Yeah. Actually, if you make sure your eyes are open to the real world and all of that, then it gives you quite a mm. good perspective.
0: Everything that you say from there and just being able to keep giving to people, even when sometimes it does just feel like they are just not giving back. I think it can just be such a black hole and it can be very difficult to be the supporter.
1: So. If it's a close friend and it's someone you care about, it just doesn't matter. Mm. and eventually. They turn around and notice it.
0: Yeah. I don't know if there's any particular charity or anything that you've
1: been working with that you want to shout out. The group that we do Christmas with is called Golden Years Hackney. So at the moment we're doing, I always just do like a shout out on Instagram and then a lot of brands that I work with will send gifts. And then I do them their post to show off their Christmas presents. And then they'll send me some PR stock and then we do gifting. So normally we all get together on Christmas Day. With We have about 30 around here elderly in isolation, social isolation, which did exist before the pandemic. But now it's that word is so widely used. But before that, social isolation was a problem in a lot of areas anyway, because a lot of elderly or people who've had fallouts in their families and things like that spend Christmas Day alone. And it's super sad and it's quite nice. When we're talking about co-parenting, that was why I started doing it, because there was an argument on Christmas of who Mm. was going where. And in the end, I just said, well, we're all going volunteering and that's that. And Mm. we all went together and did that instead of everyone's plans they were trying to make. And actually, we all really enjoyed it and we've done it ever since. And it kind of just removes anyone, not being selfish, but sort of saying, well, these are our plans. No one ever tries to override... Yeah, charity. <laughs> yeah. yeah no one can make it sound more important than the next person when it's that so that kind of always wins and actually it's been really successful so we normally all find a restaurant that'll host, and I mean hopefully we can go and do a knock-on give a present have a little chat this year it depends if that puts them at risk we'll see because we don't want to be in super spreaders and going door-to-door with the elderly so we just need to figure it out and make sure that they feel like they've had a bit of a a Christmas cheer and a little present. That's such a nice thing
0: to do. And every year I always think about doing something like that and I'm just, I always wuss out.
1: So it's really difficult to work with the established charities with kids. But what I will say, which I think is really important, is to, to not necessarily look at the established charities and just look to your community and I think if everybody looks at their street and make sure they know who might be on their own and have a little check-in then nobody's on their own if everybody did that do you know what I mean of course, and, yeah. and you don't really need any sort of organization for that there's nothing too tricky about it it's just making sure it's just if everybody sort of does their bit with their little street Everybody does their bit with
0: their little street. I think that's a really nice note to end on. And if we're all stuck at home, then you can still do your bit and reach out to the people who are around you. So on that note, I will say goodbye, but it's just been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so um, much. Are there any handles? Obviously, I think it's just at Lou Teasdale, isn't it? Yep, that's me is there anything that you want to promote obviously there's at golden years hackney and um, definitely check them out but is there anything else that you want to shout about
1: um looks dad has a song out that's what we're pushing at the moment oh fabulous <laughs> what's it called it's called little fucker i shouldn't really say that oh, is that what it's called
0: <laughs> yeah. do you know what all of these I, I feel like i always have to call my mom and apologize every yeah. single episode i've sworn So they've all got explicit ratings. So yes, little fucker, it's out now. (laughs) Oh oh my God, amazing. Um, Okay, well, thanks so much, Lou, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, everyone, that's the end. Thank you so, so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to New Leaf on wherever you get your podcasts from so that you don't miss out on my next episode. Feel free to message me directly on Instagram at at youleafpodcast if you like, and on at loopergrowth if you are feeling inspired and want to find out about my personalised pre and postnatal mum coaching programmes. Have a lovely, lovely day. And if you are a parent, have an even better night. Bye, everybody.